try to kill us, but my village too strong. Long live the people. Here we go again with the bullshit you want. Long live the people. We have all these mixed blood people over across the country. We cannot exclude them. There's nothing wrong with being Red River Metis. We are all Metis. There was an attempt to define Metis. And we said no. There's Métis from Red River. What's wrong with Métis from someplace else? And they were also Métis people. Uniting our people is at a very sad state. We are all Métis. Hey guys, welcome to the Jig is Up. You know, we all year we've brought you some uh, political conversations about Métis world, about the Métis politics and Métis life. And, you know, we've had an, a great time doing it. But we've always had this idea that we're going to branch off one day and when we get, um, you know, we get to a certain point. And I think we're there. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is we're going to branch off a little bit from those politics. And every other week we're going to try to bring you a story of a Métis person doing something really cool out there in the world today. And it could be a leader of a community, could be somebody who's, you know, top of the field in whatever profession they're in, or, or just people that are are doing interesting and, and different things that you don't maybe normally think about. And so that's the the what this is all about. And the, this is the first of those episodes. I couldn't be happier to start it off with a lady named Shelley Weird, who is a fellow podcaster. She does a podcast called Women Warriors. And it brings Indigenous women's voices to the table. And it focuses completely on Indigenous women, which I definitely think is needed in the podcast world. As far as I know, it is the only podcast in all of the podcasts out there that focuses on Indigenous women and their stories and their voices. And so that it's a very positive thing. It's a great podcast to listen to. There's some great uh, interviews, great stories. I encourage everybody to check it out. It's called Women Warriors. And season one is available on iTunes, and she is partway through recording season two, which we should see out very soon. I'm looking forward to season two, so if you get a chance, go check it out. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Long live the peak. Hey. Okay, so welcome to the show, Shelly. Um, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. I've been very much looking forward to talking to you. Uh, I know we had some road bumps in getting together, but uh, we're here, and I, I'm really excited to uh, to get to know more about you. Great, talk yeah. about all things Métis. Absolutely, we were uh, we were just having a great discussion, so hopefully it uh, flows just like that. Yeah. So I wanted to start off and just right from the beginning and kind of you know I guess where where did you begin? Um, like, where were you born? And uh, and tell us maybe a little bit about growing up. Or did you have a, a strong Métis connection when growing up? Or or how did that okay. come about? Well, it's it's a complicated story. <laughs> but <laughs> they they all are, aren't they? I'll try and give you a shortened version. I'll just I'll tell you as quickly as I can. Um, my grandmother was uh, she was forty years old when she returned to university. And my family, my dad is originally from Yellowknife. And my grandma brought four of her seven kids to the University of Calgary while she attended school. And my dad met my mom on campus. So my dad is Métis and my mom is non-Indigenous. And she was going to nursing school. And she ended up getting pregnant. And then my grandma found out and she was uh, very upset by this. 
So this is uh, Joanne's mom and uh, shipped her off to Edmonton and she had me there and I was given up for adoption immediately. So I actually grew up outside of the culture. But the really interesting thing about the family that I was adopted into is that we were mixed race kids. So this is like back in 1980. So it's still part of the 60 scoop. Oh, wow. Because when you when you look at the 60 scoop, it goes up to 1985. Um, so I'm AT and then I have a younger sister who's treaty from Manitoba. So I grew up in a family of five and four of us are adopted. So we were just all this like mixture hodgepodge of different races. And, um, I actually, when I turned 26, I decided to go ahead and find out who my parents were. So I, I went to the Alberta adoption registries and I put my name in. And when you do that, they give you identifying information. And I took that identifying information and I just Googled. And um, my dad has a really unique last name. His last name is Ingi. And there's like not very <laughs> many Ingis in all of Canada. So oh, really? I wouldn't expect that. Yeah. And so it came up immediately. I just put in Yellowknife and Ingi and boom, there he was. Nice. And he, he was a politician. So he had like a lot of videos at that time on the internet. So I just, you know, I started to watch some of them and that's how I kind of got started on like what Métis meant. And then I ended up emailing him to his office email and uh, it went to the receptionist and I didn't hear back for like a week. And (laughs) finally, when he got back to me, yeah, he, I, I had sent him this identifying information and it was like, is this your birth date? Is this how many siblings you have? Like, are you Métis? Do you know this woman who was my mother? And um, he was just shocked. And on my adoption papers, it said Métis. Oh, and really? I really had, yeah. So she, my mother knew enough to say that I was Métis, but she didn't really know what that meant. Yeah. And so I knew my whole life that I was Métis because my parents had showed me the adoption papers, but I had no idea what Métis meant. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a rural population where it was like French settlers. And the town that I grew up in, it's named Castor. So that's Beaver for French. It's French. And um, my parents are like, you know, uh, German and French farmers. (laughs) (laughs) wow now when you were you were talking about um you know you had uh siblings that were all adopted were they all were they first nations kids all of them or was it some first nation and then obviously you were metis and yeah and others yeah so my oldest sister is non-indigenous um and then i'm metis and my younger brother is mixed and i think he does have some metis but it's not to the extent of my Uh, like genealogy Mm -hmm. and then um my youngest sister is like treaty first nation oh okay okay yeah what what nation does she go back to i don't know honestly it's in manitoba and she found her mom when she was um i think like 17 or 18 and she didn't know who her father was oh okay so she actually went out onto that reserve and like met her family and stayed with her mom for a little bit oh wow yeah oh well that's wonderful Yes. Do they do they have I mean, do you now have a strong relationship with your dad and, and the Metis side of your family I or do it's really, really strong. So what ended up happening was 
You know, it was within one week of him emailing me, I took a flight. I was living in Vancouver at the time and I went to Yellowknife and I had this time off. It was like a space in my life where I had moved from Edmonton to Vancouver and I I didn't have a full-time job yet and I just had the time to go there. So I ended up in Yellowknife for about 10 days Oh wow! and I met all of my family and it's this huge Métis family and... Um, you know, I learned more about the culture and I got to meet my grandma who was this incredible matriarch for her family. And she was a, a really well-known elder in Yellowknife. And uh, I was really fortunate that I got to spend some actual like FaceTime with them. And my dad took me to um, check out our genealogy at the museum there oh, in wow. Yellowknife. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, and so my dad is like, if there was like a like a Métis historian slash, uh, like, you know, very, very well-educated Métis scholar, he is it. Oh, yeah? So now, yeah. is, is does that mean, is he based, like, from Yellowknife? So is he, like, Métis Dene, or...? Yeah, so we're from, uh, it's called the Norse Slave Métis. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so... The North Slave region of the Great Slave Lake, we have to prove that we occupied that um, before January 1st, 1921. So we're part of like kind of a small group of Métis. Mm-hmm. And um, we're not part of the Northwest Territories Métis Nation. We're part of the North Slave Métis. Oh, okay. And, and is that, uh, I guess, is that part of the, like, um, any of the Métis Nation organizations at all, or...? No, like we're our own Métis oh, really? organization and my nice. dad is the president. Yeah, it's the North Slave Métis and we actually are, like my dad is, he has been the president of the North Slave Métis for, I think like, I don't know, like 17 years or something. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, a long time. Yeah. Now, uh, when you contacted him and stuff, was it, uh, was he, you said he was shocked, but was he, did he kind of warm up to it quickly or how did... Did that take a while for that to happen? Yeah, like, so the crazy thing about my dad is he didn't have any other children, and he was married, but he ended up getting divorced. So when I first met him, he was a bachelor, and um, he was really, really happy and excited to have a daughter. And you know what? Every day he tells me, and I appreciate it so much, but every day he tells me that he loves me, and he feels like he won the lottery of life. Oh, that's wonderful. That's yeah. absolutely wonderful. No, that's a great story. I mean, a lot of adoption stories don't have such a happy ending, but, uh, you know, that's that's mm-hmm. amazing. So. Yeah, it is. And I really, I love my family and I love them very much. Yeah. I would imagine him being the president makes it pretty easy to learn about your culture, learn about your history. <laughs> uh, I, I bet you he's pretty open to that, hey? Oh my goodness. It's like I'm in training all the time. <laughs> so my dad has this... Um, he has, like, he's been in court for a long time over land claims and just all kinds of stuff. So whenever we get together, he likes to talk politics because that's what he does and that's what he's passionate about. And um, so he's a politician. He's also, like, a Métis historian. And, you know, I get high, I get very well educated every time we have a conversation on all things Métis. Well, so and then so you'll be seceding him as the as the yeah. new president is that what I'm hearing? Oh my goodness! I just like you know I think being a leader of an organization is a very difficult thing, 
And if I was ever chosen to do that, it would be such a high honor. But I just feel like right now I'm just um, I'm just busy taking care of my family. And I actually just enrolled back in university. So. Oh, really? What are you I, taking at university? Yeah. So I... I had completed three years of my Bachelor of Arts degree, and my major was sociology. My minor was women's studies. And then um, I had my daughter, Kayla. So I ended up having th- three kids in total. And so I took a break from university, and now I'm just finishing my fourth year. Oh, nice. So my fourth year of my Bachelor of Arts degree. Yeah. And uh, so I guess what are the ages of your children? And All boys, all girls? Yeah, so I have all girls, and they are eight and six and four and a half. Oh, wow. Well, that's a good spacing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't when they were all under five. No, I bet, yeah. eh? Yeah, it's easier now. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, my daughter's 10, so she's a little bit older, but yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. And and you're based out of Lloydminster, just for anybody who's listening. Um, and how long have you been in Lloydminster? I actually moved to Lloydminster in 2009. Um, my husband works here. He works for Husky. And, oh, okay. um, yeah, and so that's how I ended up in Lloydminster. Nice. Um, but I, I do visit Yellowknife with my kids as much as I can. And my dad comes here sometimes. Oh, that's wonderful. Right on. And now you have, um, so the whole kind of the whole reason we I decided to have this conversation with you is because you have this mm-hmm. podcast where you talk to women warriors and mm-hmm. so kind of moving from, okay, you've, you've learned kind of who you are. How did, mm-hmm. how did the podcast come about from, from all of that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, my dad has type two diabetes Oh. and, um, he was diagnosed with, uh, insulin dependent type two diabetes in, um, October of 2015, I think. Oh, wow. And I, I actually went and ran a half marathon for Team Diabetes to support him. Oh, well, good for you. On his journey, yeah. And um, during that time when I was out in the community, I started to get more educated on um, Indigenous people and diabetes. Mm-hmm. And I was in my community of Lloydminster training for this half marathon, and I just noticed that there weren't any women, uh, Indigenous women at the gyms or using the fitness facilities or even outside running. And it was really alarming to me because we have like a – we have quite a large indigenous population surrounding Lloydminster. Yes. We have, you know, Onion Lake, Frog Lake, Thunder Child, and um, indigenous women are four times as likely to develop type 2 diabetes as non-indigenous women. Yeah. While I was out running, I just got this inspiration to start my own indigenous women's fitness group. And I called it Women Warriors. And I went to the Lloyd Native Friendship Center and I asked for a space which they gave to me. So I started having classes there with instructors that were from all different gyms in Lloydminster. And it really just, yeah, it started from there. So I had about 10 participants in the very first Women Warriors. And um, after that, I hooked up with a doctor, medical doctor and researcher at the University of Calgary. And her name is Dr. Sonia Wicklam. And um, she said that she would help me develop this this program and um so we wrote some grants and we got a grant from the government of alberta 
oh, uh, nice. recreation and physical activity division. Yeah, yeah. And um, starting in January of 2016, we started our first fully funded Women Warriors program, Eight Weeks to Healthy Living. Oh, wow. And uh, it was like a different kinds of fitness classes every week. And then um, different, very simple nutrition education. And I've been running that program for, it'll be two years coming up January 2018. Wow. So, and it, it, yeah. it just, do you run multiple times throughout the year? Yeah. So in 2016, we had four programs. So it was four, wow. eight weeks to healthy living. Yeah. And then I noticed in the summer, the, you know, the attendance just dropped. And, you know, women are busy in the summer just because we have kids, right? Oh, so absolutely. I, I decided just to drop the summer program. And so this year we have three. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, and it's research through the University of Calgary. And um, right now I'm going to start my last session of this year in October, November. Oh, wow. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, so and then the the podcast just grew from that because I was so um, I was so involved in the community and I really just wanted to empower Indigenous women, you know, on a, on a wider, on, you know, with a larger audience. And um, so I just decided that I would ask the Indigenous women kind of that I knew or were connected with in this area if they wanted to be interviewed. And that's where it really started. So that, you know, not only could my participants listen to amazing Indigenous women, but also you know, kind of on a, a wider audience. Well, absolutely. I mean, and I think it's one of the populations in this country that has the, probably the the least voice in a lot of things is, is Indigenous yeah. women. I mean, my wife is yeah. Yellowknife Dene, and um, it's very, very difficult for them to get heard or get their stories out. And even when they mm-hmm. do talk, a lot of people don't listen. Um, so I like, I, that's why I loved your podcast. That's actually why I tuned into it. Um, well, thank you. So you know, I, I for me for me listening as a fan, I think that's that's probably one of the most amazing things about it is that you get to hear these stories about some amazing people that honestly I, I don't know if I'd even know who they were otherwise unless I was really really researching, you know. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, so from a li- I, listener I, standpoint, it, it's very positive. And like that's what I want—a positive image of indigenous women i am tired of seeing all of these negative negative images and stereotypes of indigenous women because the women that i know in my group and then just you know on a wider basis in alberta saskatchewan bc northwest territories they're killing it they're doing amazing things that i want everybody to know about absolutely you know and i, and, uh, I think for me it made me think about a lot of the women that i know indigenous women and mm-hmm. it, I think it's all ages. I've seen 10-year-olds do spoken word poetry that just blows you out of the water. And then mm-hmm. right up to, you know, your elders that are still working hard to, to do things. And it's, it is pretty amazing to see. But again, they don't, I don't know if they're just, they're just misrepresented in, in media. Yeah. But then on top of that, like we have so many barriers to even doing public anything you know just for us to go to conferences or to do a podcast or to find time to connect is difficult because you know we all have family obligations or um you know we have to work like it's just more challenging i find not only for us to be heard like you know to share our stories but then also to find the time to connect with other women 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think even your uh, your fitness class, I mean, that would be an awesome time to just connect with other women that maybe yeah. you wouldn't normally because you're doing you're doing this it's kind of like you bring everybody together to do a similar activity and then suddenly there's that bonding that happens and I'm assuming that you saw quite a bit of that through that program. I did and I that's kind of the best part of the program and I don't it's not just for indigenous women. It's open to the community so anyone can join. And the part that I really loved was, you know, Indigenous women from Onion Lake meeting, you know, non-Indigenous women from Hillmont. So kind of like the farming community outside of Lloydminster and then forming those relationships and understanding more about the culture. And um, it was a place where, you know, it represented this whole community and everybody could, you know, without the pressure of deciding like we're going to talk about culture like it's not about that it's just about exercising and getting healthy and then you can share your culture if you want to well that's just it i think it's a great way to to avoid awkward conversations and just get people doing doing something and then they start to realize oh everybody here is just a person yes and then beyond that now let's talk about our experiences and our lives and our cultures yes but the yeah. base reality is, is they look at each other as we're all people here in this room doing, you know, fitness in that example. Yeah. And and not only that, they all share, you know, common problems. Yeah. You know, childcare, big problem, you know, uh, post-secondary education, getting, getting, you know, getting your education so that you can get a better job. Like, you know, there's just like universalities that happen no matter what race you are. So... Well, and I think that's the one, uh, and you know, I don't want to turn this into too many much about politics, but I think that's one thing that the media does, or, or I guess just in general it happens, is the divisions end up getting thrown up and it divides people. And really, like you said, there's so many similarities to kind of the challenges that women in mm-hmm. general face. Um, mm-hmm. That, you know, the issues at hand, like, you know, I have always said that, like, you know, the missing and murdered Indigenous women is not an Indigenous woman's issue. It's a woman's issue, but it's mm-hmm. a societal issue. But it, it should it should alarm every woman out in Canada to say, why are there women going missing? And no one seems yeah. to care, you know, and, and that's just one example. But I think the issues are very similar. And uh, yeah, that's very mm-hmm. positive. That's a very positive thing to do. Thank you. Yeah. I really, I really love it. And I really, um, I'm really passionate about Indigenous women's health. And not, you know, obviously not just Indigenous women's health, but all women's health. But yeah. I'll have to tell you, like, they do face special barriers. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's gaps in the system that I see where I'm trying to help them navigate the healthcare system better. Yeah. So well, that's and, what this program. And that's wonderful. And now what made you decide to do a podcast? Like what was it about podcasting or how did you hear about doing okay. podcasts or? So when I was running my, when I was training for my half marathon, I got so tired of listening to music and I started to listen to podcasts and they changed my life. <laughs> but here's the thing. There was no indigenous podcast that I really loved that yes. represented what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, there was Red Man Laughing, but, you know, it wasn't about indigenous women's health or just indigenous women or empowering indigenous women. And there's a lot of really great podcasts out there, but yes. it wasn't the stuff that I want to talk about. Yes. Yeah. 
No, I, I, I totally understand that. I mean, you know, I mean, that's kind of why we started ours, to, our podcast as well. I mean, we deal mm-hmm. with Métis politics, but really there was no podcast out there that did that. Yeah. Um, you know, and there was some comedy podcasts, but I agree with you. I mean, there's, there's a, a complete lack of representation in the podcast world for Indigenous yeah. women. Yeah, absolutely. And then on top of that, um, it's something that I could do from home. So, you know, I didn't have to get childcare, really, mm-hmm. you know, like, and even if I did, it was just a babysitter in my home. So, and then on top of that, it's free. Yes. So, you know, I can offer it to women for free and it's very much needed. And let's say, for example, you're in a small community, you know, in Northern Saskatchewan, I want you to be able to listen to it. You know, I don't yeah. want this to be a barrier and I, I want you to feel empowered and I want to be able to have guests on there that you can relate to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now what's, um, I guess, you know, long-term, so you do years in seasons. Um, yeah. And you're, you're, I guess you're working on your second season now? Yeah, I'm just working on my second season right now. And I think I've done about five interviews and I have 10 interviews in total. Oh, okay. And, um, you know, I, I have, I know a lot of Indigenous women, and then I just, I, I ask them for recommendations of who they think they sh- should be on the podcast, and yeah. I try and pick women from each province, okay. and um, so I have women from Northwest Territories, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario. I'm missing Manitoba right now, but, you know, and I'm missing a few other provinces, but I, you know, I'm trying to expand outwards. But this season is focused on healing. So I decided to pick a theme this year okay, or this season. And um, all of the women that I have this season have to do with healing. Okay. And was, was there a theme for the first season or was it uh, just strong women? Yeah. The first season was just women that I really love and inspire me. And, um, they were just, they were people that I knew in person oh, so okay. that I could have like kind of an easier conversation with them since it was my first time doing a podcast. Yes. So I already had kind of background information about them and I, I you know, some of them I knew quite well. And then that way it's more of a comfortable interview because I'm new to this, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then now this season, it's a little bit, um, I've expanded outward to people that I don't know. And I've, I've gotten better at podcasting and interviewing. So it, w- it was probably a little nerve wracking though, still doing the first, first one of, I don't know who you are. I've never met you. Was it a little nerve wracking? my first guest, oh my goodness, I was really nervous because it was Dr. Carrie Barassa. Oh, okay. And yeah, do you know who she is? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so she was an instructor at First Nations University for about 15 years. Yeah. But now she's the scientific director of CIHR's, like, Aboriginal People's Health. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was pretty nervous, but (laughs) it it went over pretty well. And I know I always think if I ever had like some big, big name who I really respected, I, I think I would fumble my words and kind of do the whole like fanboy thing. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm yes. talking to you. I know. I felt like that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's the great thing though. But that's what makes it fun, right? I mean, you get to talk yes. to people like that, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's also exciting because it's women that I admire and I want to get inside their brains, right? So it's like, what, what were they really thinking when that happened? Or, you know, I want to get the inside scoop. Absolutely. So that's what makes it really fun. Yeah. Now, what uh, have, has there been anything in any of the interviews you've done, say, in the first season, because um, I don't want to give away anything in the second season yet, 
Um, no spoilers. But is there anything kind of in the first 10 interviews you did where y- you really got surprised by an answer or it was something you didn't didn't know even though you knew these people? Yeah, I think, I mean, there was so, so much good material. And um, I'll just tell you some of the different kinds of interviews. Like, you know, uh, my friend Stephanie Harp has such a, a heartbreaking story, but she always finds like light in the darkness and she's such a positive person and I was really happy to be able to interview her because murdered missing indigenous women is such a you know it's at the forefront of all the media right now and her mother was was murdered and so to be able to talk to her about that and how she healed from it was was huge to be able to talk about you know what she thought of the inquiry and everything yeah. And then um, what I really loved about Helen Knott's, her interview is, you know, she went to Ottawa and she, you know, she went and talked to the political community about Site C. And um, I just find it really fascinating. Like how much, how much power do we really have to change policy or to protest and who really listens? So I thought that was really interesting when she talked about that. And then, of course, that you know, I really love Carolyn Cochran, and um, she's uh, she's a politician uh, for the government of the Northwest Territories, and I just really love her because she's such a strong advocate for women in politics. Mm-hmm. And you know, I wanted to hear about how she was surviving that world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it's a minefield. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so um, I guess was there one kind of story that stood out for you? Um, I don't even know if that if if there was any that really stood out for you as kind of uh, kind of the, the shining moment or anything like that. Or hmm, I'm gonna have to think about this. <laughs> yeah, like so, I had Ten Chai Redvers on also, and she's the co-founder of the We Matter campaign, and. Um, I think what really hit home for me, um, because I, you know, she talks about being too spirited. And then uh, when I was growing up, I have a brother who's gay. Yeah. And uh, I knew it. We we knew it from for quite a while. And my parents actually ended up. Um, they had a really hard time with it. And you know, for her to talk about kind of the process that she went through and how she mm. recognizes it as so difficult, you know, even being indigenous and then being two spirited and then being in a small community. Oh, yeah. And it just it really breaks my heart because I can recognize that in my brother. and yeah. um that was really, yeah, it really hit home for me now, have you um because I was kind of a, a very personal issue, uh, issue that do does your like you know does your family listen to your podcast and and do they i guess in that example would your brother have yeah. kind of would it hit home for him or or did you get any feedback from your family on some of these issues oh it's so hard with my family i don't even know if okay so i have so many parents right now i have adoptive <laughs> parents and then i have biological parents and um <laughs> I don't know if my adoptive parents listen to my podcast and I don't really encourage it and I don't really ask them about it. Okay. Um, yeah, we're, we're really not that close. And then my dad, um, so Bill, who is my biological father, 
he listened to quite a few of them. And uh, Carolyn Cochran is actually, he's known her for 15 years. And so he thought it was really cool that I interviewed her. Nice. And then for my brother, you know, um, he's struggling with addiction. So he has alcoholism. Mm. And um, I think maybe he listened to like one or two, but I don't know. He He's not in a position right now to give me feedback about yeah. any of it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's a that's a tough tough battle. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I have lots of family on you know one side of my family that struggles with that quite a bit. So it's it's definitely a tough issue to battle with. Uh, it is, and so that's why I decided to do a season on healing because I feel like there's so many of us within the indigenous community that are affected by addictions, and if we don't personally have them, then we know people who have them. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so that's why I wanted to talk about healing. And even today I interviewed someone who um, has her own counseling business. Yes. And she was an addict for eight years. And some of the things that she said to me today were like mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it is, uh, you know, I I don't have that affliction and it is very eye-opening. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there's a, there's a lot of compassion that I think we all need as a society for uh for healing um so i think it's important that we you know for you to do a season on healing i I think that's important yeah i just think that um it's really difficult to talk about healing and then to make it um you know i had to consult an elder for my podcast for season two to talk about healing because it's such a such a difficult topic and i didn't want to overstep my boundaries within the indigenous community and Mm. um so I actually consulted with her on all of my interview questions and um, yeah, I got guidance from her and so far it's been really excellent. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah, well, and it's, you know, hey, you're, in, you're involving other people in the podcast process now. <laughs> I think anytime Indigenous people do anything, you have to consult elders. Like yeah. that is, you know, and yes, this is a podcast, so it's kind of like a modern form of communication. But at the same time, you know, it's storytelling. And any time that you do storytelling or any kind of tradition like that, you need to consult elders and you need to get their blessing. Well, and I think too, like, you know, I think you taking the questions there to to make sure that they're, you know, they're they're good questions. I think that's a, a very responsible thing to do when you're doing something like this. I think a lot of people think, Oh, I can just ask anything and say anything and do anything and we can yeah. swear and whatever. And, and it's like, no, you know, you kind of have a responsibility to to the people listening, but to the, somebody that it might actually matter to, mm-hmm. you know, like, you mm-hmm. know, if you got a few hundred people listening and, and one person goes, hey, that's my story. I think you, yeah. you have a responsibility to them to make sure that it's yeah. a certain quality, right? So I think that's and a very positive thing. Thank you. And then I think on top of that, like there's no indigenous podcast that would respect those traditions. Like I, you know, when I listen to podcasts, I'm not thinking like, well, did they consult an elder on that? Like, yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I wanted to make sure that anything that I do, and so with my program, with the podcast, um, anything that I do that I've consulted someone properly consulted an elder or you know talked with my team like do you think that this is the right thing to do how should we approach this and and then to also validate indigenous ways of knowing that's really important Absolutely. and yeah and you know I've had some really good participants who actually work at the healing lodge in Onion Lake yeah and um, 
Yeah, so they give me some good feedback too. Like I'm just so open to any kind of um, indigenous ways of knowing feedback. Like yes. how do you want me to present that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I do think that's important. I mean, a lot of times podcasts are really just people trying to say their opinions and their yeah. their own story or their own viewpoints. And that's one thing. But what you're doing is more, I mean, you're, you're asking people to basically tell their story. And, and yes. like you said, anytime you're doing something like that, it should be done in a certain way with a certain amount of respect to whoever might be coming on to your show next. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, no, I think that's definitely a positive thing. And two, I think, uh, you know, honestly, I think a lot of people don't think of going to elders when it comes to modern day communications, modern day, Mm -hmm. you know, the internet, Facebook, all these things we have with so much ways to communicate with each other. And I don't think a lot of people think about going to their elders when it comes to this stuff. So I think it's a nice bridge to modern day technology to old traditions. And, you know, that's the way it needs to be. And with reconciliation work... Absolutely. That's what has to happen. Yeah. So, I don't, um, to totally go off topic here, but when you look at the word reconciliation, you think about the people you've talked to, say, last season, um, mm-hmm. and even maybe some of the ones you've done this season without giving away too much. Um, the word reconciliation comes up a lot today, but have you had anybody that really maybe said their opinion on that? Or, or what do you think? reconciliation is with that lens of who you've talked to and and kind of the things that they've said. I actually did an entire podcast on reconciliation um, with what I consider to be a reconciliation expert. And her name is Marcia Morasti. And Mm -hmm. uh, she works, she's from Flying Dust First Nation. She owns um, Corner Creek Consulting. And she travels all over Saskatchewan doing talks. And um She's an academic also, and I really admire her as a person, and she's, like, really strong in her culture, and uh, she has such a kind heart. And so she talked a lot about reconciliation because she had worked with um, residential school survivors way before the word reconciliation was even in existence. And so she talked about her experience with that, and that was on one of my podcasts. And then on top of that, I just I had a podcast that I dedicated – to reconciliation it was called my journey to reconciliation yes so it was really about like discovering who i was discovering that my own grandmother went to residential school and then learning more about that and and understanding that it's it wasn't taught in the mainstream school system when i was in school like i had no idea i really had no idea and it was like so shocking to me that so many people still don't know about it that's, you know, they still don't know about residential school. Like I had someone tell me, like, I think it was at this conference that I attended in this past February. She's like, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. And you think because it's so much in the media over the last couple of years that you think, oh, well, everybody knows. But there is still a massive majority of people living mm-hmm. in this country that have no idea Mm-hmm. Or they might know the term, but they don't really understand what that means or what it was yeah. or when it happened or what happened there. Yeah. Um, and it yeah. is very surprising. Very surprising. Yeah. And I, I feel I'm really, I really am drawn to reconciliation and I, I'm really strongly passionate about it. And I, you know, I have all the time, you know, I look through the calls to action and anyone can go online and they can print off those calls to action. 
And what I like best about them is that they're actionable steps to reconciliation. You know, it's, yeah. it's not just a, a document that's theoretical. It's actual action steps. Yeah. Yeah. So I really, I really encourage anyone that is listening to go to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada's website and print off the calls to action. You know, I, I, uh, I have, I think they're, they are, they're action items. They're not just Mm -hmm. a report or a recommendation. And I think really there's a lot of them that you can just instill in your own life that, Mm -hmm. you you know, we don't have to wait for governments and agencies to do things or organizations. Mm -hmm. We really can just instill a lot of them in our own life. And I think that's where the real change happens, personally. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, governments promise lots of things, but the reality is change happens when people change. And Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I would And, like, depending on, you know, depending on bureaucracy and institutions has never worked. No, it's never worked. Not at all. No. And and I mean these days it's it's so challenging to uh, there's there's so much red tape and there's so many barriers mm-hmm. that it, it's just you know it's better if we just started implementing these in our own lives. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's so many easy things that you can do. And I made a list like on my own website. It's just like ten practical steps to implement reconciliation. And um, even just by supporting your podcast or my podcast, like we're talking about indigenous issues on our podcast. Absolutely. Like just tune in and, and even just by listening to one of our podcasts, that's a form of reconciliation. If it sure is. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing that I really encourage people to do is go to the massive open online courses offered by the University of British Columbia and also by the University of Alberta, Indigenous Canada. They're excellent. They're free. It's all about reconciliation, and um, it doesn't take that long to go through them. Well, that's the truth. And, and, you know, the more educated we are about this issue, about what issues people are facing in this country, um, Mm -hmm. I think the better we are to be equipped to handle them, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, fantastic. So um, so you're doing your season two. Um, uh, Is there kind of any major, you know, not to give too many spoilers, but is there any major guest that you're just... You haven't interviewed that you that you're waiting that you're just super excited about. Okay, well, <laughs> or I mean, all, all of, of my guests. You know, I am really excited about all of my guests. You know, I I worked really hard on these interview questions, and uh, I I dug really deep. And um, Dr. Carly Fellner, I'm really excited to interview her. She's an associate professor at the University of Calgary, and her dissertation. It, it just blew my mind, the way that she wrote it. it it's not a traditional academic document. And um, it's almost like storytelling. And I know that she had to fight really hard in order to write uh, her thesis in that way, where it's like more like a story than it is like an academic document. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I'm really excited to talk to her because I want to know how do you create those spaces within Western institutions that value indigenous culture, ways of knowing, you know, writing a document like that, like that is, you know, it's a form of reconciliation, but then also of resistance. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's the great thing about your podcast is it shows um, like there's so many of the times I've, I've listened to, uh, the interviews and stuff, and and it's the motivation for a lot of these women on why they did what they did, 
or how mm-hmm. how they came up with the idea for doing what they did. And um, but I mean, a lot of times they're the first one to do these kinds of things or break that glass yeah. ceiling. And and so mm-hmm. the motivation on their level to to continue fighting that fight or or working mm-hmm. through those barriers. And honestly, mm-hmm. it is amazing to hear those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and and today, even today, Indigenous women struggle to break those barriers. There's still barriers mm-hmm. out there that haven't been, I guess, challenged and broke yet. Um, mm-hmm. So there's still lots of firsts to come. But it is, to me, that's one of the great things about it is, is just hearing these stories of how they mm-hmm. stayed motivated and why, you know. Yeah, thank you. I th- And you know what the other thing is, though? Like, even within my group, Women Warriors, there are women that are so strong and that just the very act of them being able to come to, you know, Women Warriors and making space in their day to be there, like, I honor that. Like, every, you know, there's everyday struggle that, you know, some of the things that these women go through, like, I just, I have so much admiration and respect for them. Oh, absolutely. Now, do you, uh, okay, well, here's... I guess one of the one of the last few questions I would have: Do you consider yourself to be a woman warrior? Would you interview yourself? I guess. Yeah, yeah you know, I, you know, I, I do it for other women, so I would consider myself to be a woman warrior. But it's only because all these other women make me stronger, and the reason that I started this podcast also. And, and the group is because, and I hear this from women over and over again, you know, the last question I always ask women is, name one woman that, you know, you admire and you'd like to spend the day with. And you know what most of them say? Hmm. They're cook'em, their grandma, you know, someone in their family, an older woman that they, they really yes. admired. Okay. Yeah. And so I started Women Warriors because my grandma Anne was like such a strong and fierce warrior and she really inspires me and to you know be in an abusive marriage for so long and then get the guts to go back to university when you're 40 years old you know you have seven kids and um go through the university system like back in 1980 really like 1970 76 77 around there when you when you're one of the few indigenous women probably in those classes that's a woman warrior like that is someone that inspires me and that's what this program is about absolutely no i absolutely that's amazing um so when you're doing this uh you know you're interviewing all these amazing women uh, do you do your daughters ever hear the podcast i mean they're a little young to sit and listen to an hour-long podcast but i guess when they get old enough i mean how does it make you feel knowing that one day they probably will listen to this and and I guess, how does it, you know, raising young women, um, yeah. it, it, I would imagine it kind of almost gives you a sense of, of joy to know that there's so many strong women out there. And really, you're only touching on a few of them. Um, yeah. It, does it I give you a lot so of hope many. or mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. Um, so I've never even really thought about like them listening to my podcast just because they are so small and I talk about such serious topics, but eventually there will come a time when they get old enough to listen to it. And, um, you know, every day when I get up, honestly, like my prayer and what I hope for is that I'm a strong leader and I'm strong for my girls and for the women that inspire me and, and to make the world like, you know, a better place for indigenous women. And, um, 
I hope that they listen to the podcast and that they learn from these women, like the barriers, the really hard barriers that they had to go through in order to get to the positions that they're in. Well, absolutely. And and I think one of the great things about it is it's almost like a legacy for you. I mean, I don't know how many seasons you plan to do, but even what you've done, I mean, it'll be there. They can always hear, right? So it's, it's almost like leaving a legacy, a little bit of a legacy where, hey, this is what I did and, you know, you guys can listen anytime. So I think that's really Aww, cool. thank you. I never even thought of that. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought of that, but that's great. But they, uh, they do know that I do, like, Women Warriors, you know, the exercise group. Yeah. And um, they're always, like, showing me their muscles. They're like, I'm strong. Look at how strong I am. Can I come to Women Warriors tonight? I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then one day they will be. And, yeah, and it'll be before so. you know it, and you'll be going, no, I want the days when you didn't Aww. come. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm so looking forward to them uh, joining the revolution. So <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. My daughter's just kind of getting to the age now where she's starting to really come out with her own opinions on things. And mm-hmm. and it, it is actually truly amazing to, to sit and listen to. Um, I, I swear, some days that the most adult conversations I have are with my 10-year-old. Yeah, life. isn't it? <laughs> And uh, it's amazing. You know, they're not dated yet. That's the beauty of it. And so when they answer you, sometimes you're like, boy, was I ever jaded about that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I always called her my little conscience. So she's, she keeps me in check in a lot of things, but a lot of times she just offers a different perspective and you go, oh man, I never really even thought of that. So yes, it's it's, so true. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, you know, it gives me a lot of hope knowing, you know, in, in you doing this podcast, but knowing that there's, you know, there's women that are listening and I, th- I hope that there's young women listening going and, and wanting to get involved in things. And I think that's one of the, mm-hmm. one of the benefits of giving voices to anybody is that mm-hmm. it, al- it allows other people to go, Hey, I'm not alone here. And, and I, you know, mm-hmm. if they can do it, I can do it. And mm-hmm. so for indigenous women, you know, like, I think that would be one of the, one of the better things that more more positive things I think that would come from a podcast like yours where it, it maybe allows uh, you, the younger women that are old enough to listen to a podcast but aren't sure where you know where things are going in the world just to realize that there are there are strong women out there too and and, and, they, I, and they can I, do it yeah and I want them to know that they they can speak I mean there's just there's not a lot of forums for women to speak there is like not that's that really it really bothers me and um i want to create this kind of like platform where not only do they get to speak and be heard but you know eventually they could get into like more public forums where you know they're in politics or they're you know even in their own like institution like a bank where you know they're not so scared to speak up at a meeting you know i just want to give them courage absolutely courage to speak up yeah for mm-hmm. sure um, so I guess my last question for you tonight would be, and I sent you this ahead of time, so, but it's, it's, it's kind of a big question, which is, um, when we bring this all back together, um, you're a, a strong Métis woman doing a podcast for other strong Indigenous women. So what does that mean in your everyday life to be Métis? Like, how does it, how does it impact your life on a daily basis? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, being Métis is a very complex issue, and uh, we talked about it a little bit beforehand. But um, when I think of my daughters, um, I want to make sure that they know the culture, because I wasn't raised in the culture, and that's really important to me. 
Um, and so, I, you know, I, I did a newsletter where I talked a little bit about what the Métis culture was, you know, Bannock and jigging and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like some northern phrases and stuff like that. But what yeah. I really want them to know is like uh, the warrior spirit. That's, you know, really when it comes down to being Métis and when I think about all of the challenges that we face as Métis people and then as Indigenous women, like that there we have a lot of grit and that that's what I'm about every day. When people challenge me or when people tell me I'm not Indigenous enough or I'm, you know, or there's all kinds of lateral violence that happens in our communities. And um, I just want people to be proud of who they are. So if they are Métis or, you know, if they're First Nations or whatever they are, I want them to be proud. And I want them to embrace their culture. And that's what I do every day because I'm trying to be a good example. Oh, that's fantastic. That's what being Métis is. Mm-hmm. Wow. That, that's a great answer. That is absolutely Thank wonderful. You, uh, you know, I, I find it interesting how many people, um, the, the child, like their kids are, are their motivator, you know. <laughs> um, well, be, you know, even for myself, I didn't grow up with the culture, but my, my, I want my daughter to know, just like you, where it's, yeah. I, I want her to have that, you know, so... But yeah, absolutely. because it gives them like a North Star. It does. Like, yeah. Well, and there's something about knowing who you are and where you came from that gives you a mm-hmm. lot of strength, mm-hmm. I, I think. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's what I want for them. Absolutely. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on. And um, yeah, it's been a wonderful conversation. I hope, uh, hope everybody liked it. So thank yeah, you. Good. Thank you. This has been great. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Long live the pink. Hey. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoy the future episodes. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more stories and uh, bringing more people to the show. We have a bunch of people we want to get on the show, so stay tuned for the next episode where we return to our political rantings. But I will let you know who our next guest will be. A quick reminder to head over to our summer camp website and help support Métis youth uh, in getting to camp next year and having a culture and leadership camp here in Alberta. The links will be on our Facebook page. Thanks to Dreesus for supporting our podcast with his music as always. And you can come meet me in person down at Art Stance on September 28th starting at 3pm at St. Patrick's Island here in Calgary. Long live the That's all for hey, now. Hey. Stay made too proud and until next week. It's poor man's if you wanna talk the language A hundred clicks north if our G is the rest You still gotta be a chief to wear a headdress So take your shit off before you ruin it for the rest You better listen to your heart, there's too many heads And watch what you say, man, there's way too many feds